0: Good morning. The scriptural reading this morning will come from the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, and we're going to start with the 44th verse. Uh, if you're using the Red Pew Bible, Bible then it'll be on, uh, start on page 885. Luke 24, and we're going to start with the 44th verse. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which was written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then open heed their understanding that they may understand the scriptures, and say it unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it is behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin shall be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem, till you be endued with power from on high. May God bless the hearers and doers of his word.
1: I'm going to stand down here today because I got a lot going on on the screen behind me today. This is going to be a different kind of sermon, just a little bit different and I don't want to be in anybody's way. One of the reasons I walk around on the stage is because I can see people in this section and this section like craning behind me sometimes because they can't see a passage. I just figured I'll just save you having to do that and I'll stand down here. So hopefully you can see me. Definitely if you can hear me, that's all right. A couple of things I've learned in being a preacher is this. I've learned that people love a list They love to have a list. Just give me a list of of things that God wants me to do. And and people just, they they love that. But they also love a timeline. I have learned in watching you that many of you use timelines in teaching people the gospel. That's a really effective way to teach God's word. And what I want to do this morning is this. Just give you a timeline of how the gospel came to us. And, And I want to do it from this perspective When does somebody become a Christian? When does somebody become part of the new covenant that God has offered to all humanity? I think by showing you this this morning, I think it's going to help all of us to clear up some things in our thinking and help us to really process. God has made an astounding offer to you and to me. And we need to understand as we look at the gospel we need to understand when that offer was made and how somebody becomes a Christian. It's a really important question. How does a person become a follower of Christ today? And what I wanna do this morning is just this. I just wanna walk you through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then show you the first part of Acts and how all four of those books and the first part of Acts fit together on a timeline type of, type of uh, analysis. So without further ado, Let's talk about the gospel, the good news. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of your New Testament, those first four books, they're all about the life of Christ. And what's interesting is they all begin at a little bit different place. For example, Matthew begins in Matthew chapter 1 with the genealogy and then with the birth of Jesus. The genealogy and the birth of Jesus, that's in Matthew 1. That's where his gospel account begins. But Mark, when you turn to the next book, doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. Mark begins with the baptism of Jesus. He doesn't even tell you much about how Jesus was born, how how he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Mark doesn't tell you any of that. He starts way far later on in Jesus' life. Jesus is about age 30. When you read the book of Luke, Luke actually begins with the birth of John the Baptist. Even before Jesus, even before Mary is told that she's with child, we've got Zacharias and Elizabeth the parents of John, and they find out they're going to be the parents of a little boy. And then when you read the Gospel of John, John starts in eternity past. Famously, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were created through him. So John is starting way before the birth of Christ, and he really doesn't touch a great deal on the birth of Christ. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from a timeline perspective... They all start in a different place, and they're all telling you something about who Jesus is, about where he came from, and what's important about him. And as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's good to see how those gospels begin. As you continue, all four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they sync up. They sync up together at one particular event, and that event is the baptism of Christ, So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all start in a different place, but they all kind of sync up and sync up at the baptism of Christ. You read about the baptism of Christ when he goes down to the Jordan River and John the Baptist immerses him. You read about that in Matthew chapter 3, and then in Mark chapter 1, and you read about it in Luke chapter 3, and in John chapter 1. All four gospel accounts talk about and tell you something about the baptism of Jesus. And here are three reasons why. Reason number one is because the baptism of Jesus signals the beginning of the Lord's earthly ministry. Jesus lived the first 30 years of his life in obscurity. He was in Nazareth. His father was a carpenter. And Jesus would have learned as a Jewish young man the trade of his father. So he would have learned to be a carpenter himself. And you don't find much about the life of Jesus anywhere in the Bible up until the point where he reaches age 30 and he's baptized. And everything we know about the ministry of Jesus begins at this point. At the baptism of Jesus, too, his identity is announced publicly for the first time. The scripture says that when John immerses Jesus, that Jesus comes out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends in bodily form as a dove, and a voice speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then at the baptism of Jesus, this begins the period where Jesus preaches. Immediately after he's baptized, he begins to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It's also the time when Jesus begins to perform miracles. So he's preaching, and he's doing miracles. The baptism of Christ is where the ministry of Jesus begins. Having said that, let's talk about that ministry, the ministry of Christ, a couple of things that people need to hear and know about the ministry of Jesus Christ. The ministry of Christ involves teaching. Jesus taught everywhere he went. He taught everybody who would listen. That's what Jesus was constantly doing. The Bible says in Luke 4.32, the people listened to Jesus teach and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. One of the unique things about the teaching of Jesus is that he didn't just go and say, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. He did that and he had great respect for the word of God. Not one word of God was going to be broken by Jesus, our perfect Savior, Hebrews four fifteen, But Jesus also said, I say to you, you're going to say to me at the day of judgment, and I'm going to say to you at the day of judgment. Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. So he's an astounding teacher. He's teaching as if he were God himself. In fact, in John chapter 3 verse 2, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, this is the way Nicodemus introduces himself. He says, I've come to see you because we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. I wanted to talk to you, Jesus. I hear the things that you're saying and I hear your teachings and your teachings demonstrate that you are God's servant. You're telling the truth about scripture and you're showing us spiritual things that we need to know about. So when people hear about the gospel, they need to hear about and know about the teachings of Jesus. But not only that, they need to hear about the miracles of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, almost everywhere, he was performing miracles because he wanted people to see that he has power. He demonstrated his power over sickness and disease by healing everybody. Blind people, people who were epileptics, people who had, um, had all kinds of illnesses and ailments and withered hands and, and they were lame, people who were ill with diseases that couldn't be cured like leprosy. Jesus could heal every single one of them Luke chapter 4 verse 40 mentions people were coming from all around to Jesus because they knew that he never turned a sick person away and said I'm sorry your case is too far gone he is the great physician he can heal diseases but not only that he has power over nature when you look at the life of Jesus he could speak to a fig tree and the fig tree would obey him or he could speak to the wind and the waves in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. He could walk on the water. He could speak to the storm and it would listen and obey. He could speak to fig trees and they would listen and obey. He could walk on water. He, he had power over nature. Not only that, but when you look at the miracles of Jesus, the Bible indicates that he has spiritual power as well. That's why he was able to cast out demons. Because no demon, no devil was so powerful that Jesus said, I'm sorry, I just can't, I can't help you here. This is too much for me. No, with the word, Jesus would speak to demons and he would say, come out of him. In Mark chapter 1, verse 27, that's exactly what he did. And when people saw him cast out a demon, they said, what new thing is this? With authority, he casts out even the unclean spirits, even the demons. And when we talk about the gospel, the good news, we need to talk about how Jesus came. He came to this world. And all four of the gospel accounts start us in a little bit different place, but they show us the fundamental fact that he came. And then they talk about his baptism and how he's identified, this is my beloved son. And then the gospel accounts tell you about his ministry. And they tell you about how he taught and how he preached and how he performed miracles and healings and had power over nature, and even over death itself, Jesus could raise the dead. All right, one more thing before we leave the ministry of Jesus here. This is going to become important as the lesson progresses. It's important for people to understand that Jesus lived and died under the old covenant. It's really important. Jesus lived and died under the old covenant. A lot of people don't know that. And when somebody starts asking the question, what must I do to be saved, they'll go back to the period of Jesus' ministry and they'll start looking at reasons why they should be saved the way people like the thief on the cross were, for example. The thief on the cross lived and died under the old covenants. Jesus lived and died under the old covenant look at this you look at what Jesus is teaching and what he's doing in Luke chapter 4 verse 16 Jesus comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and as was his custom the Bible says Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read people need to understand and appreciate that Jesus lived under the law of Moses and he was subject to the regulations of the law of Moses and so on the Sabbath day He would go to the synagogue. He didn't go to the church building on Sunday because he did not live under the new covenant during his earthly ministry. Notice this in Luke 18, verse 10, one of his parables. There are many examples that we could give. Two men went into the temple to pray. Remember? The Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee stands up and says, I'm thankful I'm not like other men. And the tax collector says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Where were those men? They weren't in a church building. They weren't in a New Testament Christian assembly. They were in the temple. Why? Because they were Jewish men. They lived under the law of Moses. In Mark chapter 14, verse 12, on the night of his crucifixion, Before they took him to Pontius Pilate, what was Jesus doing? Christians today would say, and we read just a moment ago, and I appreciate this in in Matthew 26, Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper. Exactly right. He was instituting the Lord's Supper. But Mark chapter 14, verse 12 tells us that what Jesus and his apostles were doing was they were sacrificing a Passover lamb, and they were preparing to eat the Passover The Passover is not a Christian celebration. It's not something that God gave to Christians to do. But Jesus was doing it. Why? Because Jesus lived and died under the old covenant. Now before I leave this point, and I'll reiterate this in just a minute. Does that mean that nothing Jesus did in his ministry applies to us today? Absolutely not. Jesus was preparing the world for the kingdom. He was preparing the world for the new covenant. And Jesus talked about a lot of issues. He talked about baptism for the remission of sins. And he talked about how people need to be subject to authorities. And he talked about what the church was going to be like and what church discipline was going to be like. But still, even though those things were being said during his ministry, they were preparatory because the new covenant had not yet been offered to mankind during the ministry of Christ. Next on our timeline. Oh, by the way, Jesus said this. I apologize. I forgot. I got a lot of slides this morning. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus took the word of God seriously. He didn't just come and say, we're going to throw out the old and bring in the new. He came to fulfill the promises. He came to fulfill the ideals. He came to fulfill the prophecies of the old law. Having said all that, now we move to the next part, the death of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus on earth concludes in the gospel accounts with his death. And just like all four of the gospel accounts record his baptism, all four of the gospel accounts record his death. You can read about it in Matthew 27 and Mark 15 and Luke 23 and in John 19. Those four chapters give us different pictures, different perspectives on what happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. But see, here's what's important as we think about the new covenant. The death of Jesus was for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1, 1 through 5. Without the death of Jesus, you and I can't be forgiven and nobody else can either. Without the death of Jesus, God's promise to forgive us, to cleanse us of our sin, it can't happen. It has to, it requires the death of Jesus, the sacrifice that He made. And shortly following the death of Jesus, you know what happens next. You've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a resurrection. The death of Jesus was for our sins. The resurrection of Jesus was for our justification. You can read about Jesus' resurrection in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20. Those chapters tell us about when the women and the apostles and others went to the tomb and how they were mystified by how the tomb was left empty. Jesus is risen. His body is gone. And we can't find him anywhere. But then he began to appear to people. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he was raised for our justification, raised for our justification. So Jesus died for our sins, the Bible says, and Jesus was raised for our justification, the Bible says, What that tells me is that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is of critical importance. When I ask the question, what must I do to be forgiven? What must I do to find cleansing? What must I do to be a part of this gospel, this new covenant that Jesus came to bring in? I need to focus on what Jesus did when he died and when he was raised. Yes, his ministry is important. Yes, people need to hear what he taught and they need to see the miracles that he did, but people need to understand that it wasn't until his death and resurrection that salvation became possible what comes after the resurrection if you've read matthew the great commission that's how matthew leaves you by the way the gospel of matthew jesus is with his apostles in galilee and he says go make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. It's the great commission. Go into all the world, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who believes not will be condemned. That's the way Mark ends. Luke, we're gonna come back to Luke in just a minute. Luke 24, there are all these conversations with Jesus and his apostles and others, other disciples. And Jesus is talking to them about how he has fulfilled all the prophecies concerning himself. And then he talks about what's gonna happen next. And he gives them a commission of sorts in Luke 24. And then in John 20 and 21, again, this is a more personal account with just the apostles, with Peter and Thomas and others, and how Jesus interacts with them and gives them a commission, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. But all four gospel accounts kinda leave you hanging. There's been a death, there's been a resurrection, there's a great commission, Now what? It's the now what. When we start talking about gospel timelines, it's the now what that really becomes critical. What must I do to be a part of the new covenant? You got your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 24. Open it up to Luke chapter 24. Everything up until the cross was old covenant, Much of what Jesus said was preparatory for the new. We look at the words of Jesus and we listen to the teachings of Jesus because Jesus was saying things under the old law that apply to the new law as well. But he lived and died under the old covenant. We now are part of and can be part of the new covenant. Let me make a distinction here before we go into Luke 24. The old covenant, friends was a covenant, an agreement between God and a nation. That's what the old covenant was. Back in Exodus 19, verses 3 and following, God spoke through Moses to the Israelites. He said, I've led you out of Egypt, you've crossed the Red Sea, and I've brought you here to Mount Sinai because I want to make you my people. I want to enter into an agreement with the Israelites. Do you accept yes or no? And the Israelites, with one voice, said, All that the Lord says, we will do. We want to be part of this agreement. We want to be a part of this covenant. We want to be people who are in a covenant, a relationship, an agreement with God. So, that old law, that old covenant, was an agreement between God and the nation of Israel. The new covenant is different. The new covenant is made between God and individuals. There's a difference. The new covenant is an agreement that God wants to make with you personally. He made the old covenant with a nation. He wants to make the new covenant with you personally. And here's how it comes to you. Here's how it comes to me. After the great commission, look at Luke 24 and the passage that Will read just a few moments ago. Verses 44 through 49. Jesus is speaking to his apostles. I'll put it on the screen for you as well. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is after his resurrection. He wanted them to understand the scriptures. Thus it is written, it was written in the old covenant, in the old law, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And, watch this, and you might highlight this in your own Bible, repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So what's the new covenant about? What's the gospel about? What's the good news that we proclaim here at Katie all about? It's about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Why do you say that, John? I say it because that's what Jesus said he was offering to the world. He said he was offering forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. It was written that Christ should die so that this could happen. And it's going to begin where? What's highlighted in red on the screen behind me. Where's the new covenant going to begin? In Jerusalem, exactly right. Critically important. You are witnesses of these things. He's talking to his apostles. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. Here's what Jesus wants his apostles to do. Last, Last little phrase, stay in the city. Don't leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. So at the end of the gospel of Luke, Instead of saying, go to all the world and preach the gospel, instead, of, at the end of Luke, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. I want you to preach forgiveness of sins. I want you to preach in my name to all nations, but wait in Jerusalem. And the thing about the book of Luke, and people need to hear this when they think about a timeline of the gospel. Luke is actually a two-part gospel. There's the book of Luke, who was written by Luke, and then there's the book of Acts. And Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke. So Matthew, Mark, and John, they leave you with the great commission. They leave you with Jesus saying, go preach. But Luke has a part two, and it's called the book of Acts. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter one. By the way, you might just take your marker in your Bible and leave it there in Luke 24 for just a moment. In Acts chapter one, here's how Luke begins. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, that's the way the book of Acts begins. What first book are you talking about? He's talking about the book of Luke, because Luke wrote Acts, and Luke wrote Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up so what's luke saying on that timeline on the screen behind me everything on the left side of the screen all the way up to the cross and the resurrection that's what luke deals with the book of luke and now what luke is going to do in the book of acts is he's going to tell you the rest of the story wait in jerusalem the rest of the story The Bible says Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing during 40 days and speaking speaking about the kingdom of God. And then it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Where do we hear that? We heard it back in Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. So here we are shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, the great commission's been given, but also Jesus has said, wait in Jerusalem. And Luke tells you that that's what Jesus commanded the apostles to do. And Acts tells you the same thing. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaks before his ascension and says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so the Bible says Jesus was taken up into the cloud in heaven, and they were standing there looking, and the Bible says the angels appeared to them and said, why are you still staring into heaven? This Jesus who you saw go up into heaven is going to return. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, just as he left... And in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, they, the apostles, did what? They returned to Jerusalem. Why? Why did they return to Jerusalem? Because that is what Jesus had told them to do. Go to Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem. And when you get to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the Bible begins in Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Pentecost, you hear that word, pentecost. you think of the number five, actually it's 50 in this case. Pentecost was always exactly 50 days after Passover. That's why they called it Pentecost. 50 days after Passover, Jesus ate the Passover supper, then he was crucified and resurrected three days later at Passover. And fifty days after the crucifixion of Jesus, here we are, and it's a Sunday morning, and the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place in Jerusalem, where they were supposed to be. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and there was uh, it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So these people, They have miraculous gifts now, these apostles. They've received the power that Jesus promised. And they go into the temple, and people think they're crazy in Acts chapter 1, verses 9, or Acts chapter 2, verses 9, and following. They say, These men are full of new wine. And Peter stands up and he says, No, we're not full of wine. This is what Joel talked about when Joel said that God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then Peter began to preach about Jesus in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. And he preached the timeline. In Acts 2, 22, 23, he talks about the teachings and the miracles of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. And then he talks about, in Acts 2, 24 and following, the resurrection of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus. Peter talks about how Jesus has come and this is good news. And what Peter is doing in Acts 2, write this in your notes if you're taking notes. For the very first time in Acts chapter 2, you are seeing the new covenant being offered. For the very first time. The new covenant could not be offered until God said it was time, and God said it was time in Acts chapter 2. The new covenant, forgiveness of sins, that was not offered until Acts 2. In Acts 2, verse 38, when the people cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter the apostle, by God's inspiration, said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like what we read in Luke 24, verse 47. Compare and see if it's the same in your Bible. In Luke 24, verse 47, Jesus promised that repentance and the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Where are they in Acts 2.38? They're in Jerusalem. What are they preaching in Acts 2.38? Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. What's happening? When you get to Acts 2 on this timeline, now you have everything that started way back there in eternity past in John chapter 1, Everything that started when Jesus was born of a virgin in Matthew chapter 1 and when he was baptized in Mark chapter 1, all of those events culminate in what is offered in Acts 2. It's called the new covenant, the gospel, the good news, and it all comes to fruition at this point in Acts 2. So the ministry of Christ is not where we go to find out what must I do to be a Christian. During the ministry of Christ, there were no Christians. Do you realize that? There were followers of Jesus, yes. There were disciples of Jesus, yes. But there were no Christians during the ministry of Christ in the sense that they had been part of the new covenant. There was no church in the ministry of Christ. Jesus went to synagogues and he worshiped on the Sabbath during the ministry of Christ. But now things are different. Why? Because the new covenant's been offered. The new covenant has come to you. The new covenant comes to you and it comes to me when you hear this message, the message that I'm preaching today, that Jesus came to this world, that he served and he taught and he did miracles and he died and he was raised from the dead. The new covenant comes when you hear that message, And then you realize, God's made an offer to me. God's made an offer to everybody. God has said, I want you to have forgiveness. I want you to have remission of sins. I want you to have cleansing. I want you to have a relationship with me. God said those things to you. And it comes when you hear his word preached. So the foundation of the new covenant was laid during the ministry of Christ. Jesus talked about baptism in John chapter 3. Jesus talked about the principles of the kingdom in Matthew 13, all those parables. The kingdom's like a mustard seed. It's like a dragnet. It's like a a pearl of great price. Jesus talked about all those things in Matthew 13. Jesus talked about moral issues like divorce, for example, in Matthew 19. And Jesus talked about um, religious issues. All these things are talked about during the ministry of Christ. He's laying the foundation for the new covenant but it could not be offered until Jesus had died and been raised just couldn't it was all old covenant until Jesus was raised from the dead Hebrews 9:15 explains this it says it's like a last will and testament i don't know if you've written a will but if you have your will is kind of a flexible thing until you die but when you die Your will goes into effect. It goes into force. And Hebrews 9.15 is saying the new covenant's like that. Until Jesus died, the new covenant couldn't be ratified because it was ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a new covenant. And it was first offered in Jerusalem on Pentecost. Acts 2, verses 38 through 47. It's a timeline. And it's important for people to make distinctions Because I've had religious discussions with people forever, it seems like. And people want to go back to the ministry of Christ and answer the question, what must I do to be saved? And people want to go back to the ministry of Christ and answer the question, how do I become a follower of Jesus? And there are principles, yes, that we need to pay attention to. There are truths, yes, that we need to pay attention to. But the new covenant is offered On the day of Pentecost and we need to pay attention to what those people did God says submit to Jesus as Lord he has done the work he has paid the price he has offered himself for all mankind unite with him in his death burial and resurrection and you do that specifically in baptism Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, we unite with Christ. We become part of the the burial and the resurrection and the death of Christ when we are baptized. And the world says, no, baptism's not that important. It's not not a big deal. God says, this is how you obtain the new covenant. This is the agreement. I made an agreement with the Israelites at Mount Sinai with a nation. I want to make an agreement with you. I want you to be forgiven. I want to cleanse you of your sins, to fill me, fill you with my Spirit. I want to add you to my church. I want those things, and that's what's offered in Acts two thirty-eight: repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says in Acts two forty-seven: the Lord added to His church daily those that were being saved. God says, "I want to do those things. Deal or no deal." And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people reached their hands back up to God and said, Deal. We want to be baptized. We want to submit to Jesus Christ. We want the things that God promises and God offers. And they became the first New Testament converts, part of the new covenant that Jesus had created by his death, burial, and resurrection. Will you this morning agree to the terms of the new covenant? It's an agreement God wants to make with you. In Acts 22, verse 16, Saul of Tarsus was told, Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Do you realize that there are a lot of religious people that say that they are followers of Jesus, that they're part of the new covenant, and they've never come to Christ in the way that the New Testament describes? There are a lot of people that live in the belief that they are followers of Christ and they've never been part of the new covenant because they haven't listened to and submitted to the commands of scripture. Will you do that this morning? You always have an opportunity, but especially when we sing a song of invitation, our prayer and our plea is, why don't you just make your way down the aisle? It's a very simple thing to do to submit to Christ, to repent of your sins, to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you can know that you're a follower, a disciple, a participant in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we can help you do that this morning, won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.